0: You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. ...of Jesus. Amen. Dear Saints, Jesus is up by Tyre and Sidon in this region that's far to the north and to the west. It's probably far northwest, at least as far west as Jesus had gone, he's way out of his normal stomping grounds, and it seems almost as if he's gone to this place for this particular moment, for this particular woman, a Canaanite woman, who, as they're going with the disciples and walking around that area, who comes to Jesus and falls down on her knees and begs him for help with her daughter, who was, the text says, severely oppressed with a demon. Now we should, when we see this, simply marvel again, like we did with blind Bartimaeus outside of Jericho a couple of weeks ago, remember this? That the news about Jesus and his strength and his power and his authority and his goodness had spread so far that even up by Tyre and Sidon, this Gentile mother knew something about this Jesus. That's already amazing. But then again, it's important for us to remember that news of help spreads quickly among the desperate. I remember when we were uh, helping get the news out about the community meals that we were hosting once a month, and we wanted to let the folks who were homeless know that this was available. And I said, Well, how do you, how do you let them know? How do you contact them? And the person who was putting the meal together said, they they will learn. You just let one person know and everybody will know. News of help spreads quickly among the desperate. So that now think about this. There's a pretty good chance that the normal people who were there in Tyre and Sidon had never even heard of Jesus at all. Never knew his name. Knew nothing about him. But the lepers and the blind and the lame, they had heard, this woman had heard, whose daughter was afflicted with a demon. And these were ready to look to Jesus for all good. And we see see this pattern then all throughout the Gospels. The The people who are drawn to Jesus are the people who know their need. The sinners. Remember how Jesus got in trouble for eating with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. And the people who are in trouble, as Jesus explained it, those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick need a doctor. Now, Jesus knows that all of us are sick, but he also knows that we don't all know it. So the people who know that they're sick, who know that they're sinners, who know that they're in this desperate situation, these are the people who are drawn to the Lord Jesus. And, and not just in the ministry of Jesus, it's also like this in the church. We know just from the history of the church, from the history of Christianity, when the church was first growing, that it was growing in the cities among the poor. Remember how Paul writes to the Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, he says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low, listen to this, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. The, the lowly and the despised and the outcast and the poor and the foolish, those who are inter- that's who made up the church. In the first generation. Now, I just wonder, just to think about this, how different this is from our own experience of Christianity. Uh, the church started as urban and rural, but now the, the urban places, the cities, and the countryside are the places where the church struggles the most to make it, especially the Lutheran church, at least. And the church has now become, generally, in our own day, a suburban phenomenon, now, I don't want to, we, I mean, we can't be too critical. God be praised that he continues to build the church. But but here's the point of the text. And the reason that the Holy Spirit has this text and all of these texts of the poor and the blind and the sinners and tax collectors and the outcasts and the lowly coming into the church and coming to Jesus, the reason why the Holy Spirit has them and has written them in these most precious Gospels is to humble us. It's to give us a new set of heroes now, now we know that in the Gospels, when we read the Gospels, that Jesus is the hero there, but there are little heroes alongside of Jesus, and they are the people that we least expect. I mean, there's the, there's the blind man, there's the ten lepers, they're heroes. Or there's the paralyzed man who's lowered in front of Jesus by his friends. Or there's the prostitute that who's, who's possessed by seven demons. Or there's the Samaritan woman with five ex-husbands and a live-in boyfriend. Or there's the naked man in the graveyard who's filled with an army of demons. Or there's this woman entire, this pagan woman who's, who has a daughter who's afflicted with a demon. These sinners put before us in the Gospels are put before us as heroes. Jesus is the rescuer, make no doubt, but they are the rescued. Jesus is the Savior, but they are the saved. And when the Holy Spirit gives these texts to us, He wants us to be among their company, the company of the saved, the company of the redeemed. And to do that, we have to be in the company of sinners. Now, the point of the text is not not to teach us to not look down on our neighbors who are poor and lowly and troubled and distressed. That will happen as a fruit of the text. But that is not the point. The point is that we are the poor and the lowly and the distressed. We are. We are the sinners. We're born in sin. We are the ones who are troubled by the demons. We are the ones who are by nature, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, we are by nature children of wrath. That means we're born doomed for the Lord's anger. And you and I were born under this curse, and we continue to be afflicted with our own sinful flesh, so that apart from the mercy of God, apart from his grace in Christ, apart from the kindness of our Lord Jesus, you and I are absolutely nothing. In fact, we are worse than that. We are God's enemies. And this is what we have to first have to learn. To receive, the, to receive the benefit of the Lord Jesus, we, we must learn this first, that we are sinners, poor, miserable sinners, that we are sick, that we are weak, that we are dying, that we cannot save ourselves, that we are the target of the devil's wrath, that we are in desperate need of Christ. In fact, We come to this text of the Syrophoenician woman and and not only is the text just not teaching us to not look down on this woman, to to not despise this woman, but to see her as our sister in Christ, but even more, the text is teaching us or is, is giving us this Syrophoenician woman, this Canaanite woman, the text is giving her to us as our teacher and our instructor so that we would be her disciples and that we would learn what it is to be a beggar. That's, the, that's what the Gospel text is training us, is how to beg. So we'll go to school, and we'll let this Canaanite woman, our dear sister in Christ, be our teacher. She has for us this morning five lessons. Number one, you have to know the language of a beggar. We heard it in Blind Bartimaeus. We hear it on basically every page of the Gospel lessons. We hear it again today. This woman comes to Jesus and says, Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy. This is the cry of the beggar. And it's, amazing. it's an amazing thing to me that there's two prayers that every time the Lord's church gathers together, even still, 2,000 years later, every time we gather together, there are two prayers that we pray. The first is the Lord's prayer, Morning and evening, matins, vespers, divine No matter what, we pray the Lord's Prayer. But the second prayer that we pray every time we get together is this prayer, the Curiae. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. It is the prayer of a beggar. And when we pray for mercy, we're asking for the Lord's undeserved kindness. We're asking that the Lord would cause His face to shine upon us. We're not asking to trade with the Lord, to bargain with the Lord, to make a deal with the Lord. We don't hold up a sign that says, we'll work for grace. We can't. We have nothing to give. Nothing to offer. We simply, with empty hands, beg the Lord to be kind to us. Lesson number one, we learn the language of the beggar. Lesson number two, we learn where to go for help. We are not beggars who stand on the corner asking anyone who drives by to help us. We know who our helper is. Listen to what she cried. Oh Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. She knows where to look for help, who to cry out to in their time of need. She's not simply looking up to heaven. She knows that her help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So to be a beggar, we know who to petition, who to go to, to ask for mercy. None other than our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And then the third lesson she teaches is that we ought to know what the problem is. Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Sometimes we pray this way. We pray for others. That's in fact what we call intercession Sometimes we pray for ourselves supplication we always pray for mercy but it but it's it's good for us to know what we are praying for okay so so far so good we've we've learned the first 3 of these 5 lessons to be about. we have to know the language we have to know who to go to for help we have to know what the problem is but now in fact is where the lessons get tough because the fourth lesson that this woman will teach us for begging is this that we must be persistent We must be persistent. The woman comes to Jesus and begs him for help, and he's absolutely silent. He doesn't say anything to her at all. He doesn't even acknowledge that she's there. Now, why? Why does Jesus do this? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why. It's just how Jesus is sometimes. That's just how he is with you and with me sometimes. Sometimes there's silence. And every Christian knows this and experiences it in our own lives and in our own prayers. It's why there's so many psalms that say, oh Lord, how long? Sometimes Jesus just doesn't answer. We don't know why. He just doesn't. But look at what this woman does. She doesn't give up, but she keeps praying. She keeps asking. She keeps begging. She follows after Jesus, and even though he says nothing, she continues to ask him for help for her daughter. Now, remember that Jesus tells some parables about prayer, which teach us this sort of thing. Jesus And this is kind of a funny story. Jesus tells about a guy who has friends come to visit at night. It's late at night, and he doesn't have any food for them. So this guy leaves his house, and he goes to his neighbor, and he knocks on the door, and he says, I've got some people here. Could I have some food? I don't have anything to give them. And the neighbor says, the kids are asleep. I'm in bed. Go away. And he keeps knocking. Go away. Go away. And he keeps knocking until finally... He gets so annoyed with his neighbor that he wakes up, gives him some bread, probably slams the door, and the guy goes home to take care of the people that came to visit. And Jesus gives us that picture as an example of how we are supposed to be in our prayers. You would think that the Lord would say, okay, that's enough. <laughs> You don't need. You don't have to every every day. I've heard it already. I don't forget. I know what you want. That's not how Jesus. Jesus says that He wants us to annoy Him with prayer. He says he, there's this widow who goes. There's another parable right in the same neighborhood. There's a judge who doesn't want to help this widow, and so he says, "I'm not going to help you." But she keeps going every day back to the judge, back to the judge, back to the judge, and finally the judge gives her what he what she wants because he's annoyed. And Jesus says, that's how you are supposed to pray. You are supposed to annoy me with your prayers. We are supposed to keep praying, keep asking, keep begging, keep petitioning to not give up, even when the Lord doesn't answer, to keep going to him and asking him these things. Now, as this woman is doing this, it certainly has annoyed the disciples because they come to Jesus and said, send her away. She keeps following us. She won't let us alone. So, lesson for persistence, but then look what happens. This is the hardest of all. The disciples want Jesus to send her away. Still, she persists. Jesus says, I came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Still, she persists. Lord, help me. And then Jesus is going to give her this insult, the thing that sort of shocks us. Jesus says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, I think at this point, we probably haven't. Fine. If you don't want to help, you don't want to help. You should have just said so. I'll go ask someone else to help my demonized daughter. But here's the lesson, the fifth lesson, that she teaches us. And that is that we grab a hold of Jesus according to his word. She does not Turn away or turn aside. Even though Jesus just called her a dog and not a child. She says, fine. Fine. If you want to call me a dog, I'll be a dog and I'll just ask for what the dogs get. The scraps that fall from the table. Lord, she says, yes, true enough. I'm not an Israelite. You didn't come for me. I don't, I don't need, all i if I'll be a dog, I'll be off to the side. All I'm asking is just like you toss a crumb to the dog, that you just toss me a crumb. If you'll call me a dog, I'll take it. I'll, I'll grab a hold of it. I'll, I'll even boast in it. I'll embrace it. And I'll simply claim what comes to me from your word. Now, this is, I don't think secret is the right word. I wrote secret. I think that's a bad, the wrong word, but this is the, This is the thing for effective prayer. And it's what the Lord wants us to know. Is that prayer, in its essence, is asking God to keep his promises. The Lord who is faithful, who does not lie, keeps his promises. And when we pray, we say, Lord, keep your promise with us. I mean, it is an amazing sort of thing. We started the sermon with this and we start our liturgy with this every Sunday. We start this all the time. That the first thing that the Lord wants us to know about ourselves is that we are sinners. That is, that we are unworthy of His kindness. That we are undeserving of His mercy. That we have no place in His kingdom. That we ought to be cast off into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what we deserve. But we come to the Lord and say, fine, Lord, if you are going to call us sinners, we'll take it. We'll own it. We'll be sinners. And we're just asking for what you give to sinners, mercy and kindness and the forgiveness of all of our sins and a savior from sin, death and hell. We are sinners. Just give us the scraps that fall from your table for sinners. Now the lesson is over. And we see the joy of Jesus. Lord, remember she says, Lord, I'll be a dog. I'll just take the scraps that fall from the master's table. And the text says that Jesus turns and he looks at her and you can almost see the joy on his face as he says, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And the text tells us that her daughter was healed instantly, just like that. Now, there's two times in the Scripture when Jesus commends somebody like this. The other time is the centurion who came to Jesus begging for healing and health for his servant. Both times the people who came to Jesus were foreigners. Both times they were praying for someone else. Both times Jesus says, I've never seen faith like this. This is what it is. To have this audacious, persistent faith. To press through the silence. To grab on to Jesus' word. To know that we are sinners that deserve nothing from the Lord because of our works or our efforts or our intelligence or our prestige or our position or our whatever. To know that we are sinners, that we are outcasts, that we are the lowly and that we are the despised, but that Jesus has for the lowly and despised gifts beyond measure. Gifts beyond our imagining. Gifts beyond... (laughs) Anything that we could even think about. A place for us in heaven. A place for us in the resurrection. A place for us in eternal life. And a a way for us to stand on the judgment day. And to receive his kindness. So we give thanks to God the Holy Spirit who's put us in the school of begging from the Canaanite woman this morning. And we thank him for these lessons. For teaching us what it means to be a Christian. I'm reminded, I think I've told you guys this before, that they found a scrap of paper in the the pocket of Martin Luther when he died. They think it was his last written words. They pulled it out, and it's half in Latin and half in German. The Latin half has something about you can't understand Cicero until you've been a politician for 30 years, and you can't understand the farming poets until you've been a farmer for 10 years or something. You can't understand St. Paul until you've been a pastor for 150 years. I think that's what it is. And then he switched to German and he said this this is the key. He says, We are beggars. This is true. We are beggars. But the Lord is generous, the Lord is kind, the Lord hears our prayers for mercy, and he answers them. God be praised, amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.